Welcome back to Deep Thoughts. I can't believe it, but it's like 90 degrees outside on an October day. And I just had a big 12-hour meeting yesterday on a script. So I'm going to record a show today. Put out two this afternoon. Jealousy and video games of today. Slightly windy today, but I don't think it's the kind of gusty wind that will end up in the microphone. So I was at my cigar lounge the other day, and one of our regulars was looking at something we were playing about, you know, fake space station stuff, and a bunch of this fake rah-rah, we went to the moon crap. And this dude, if he's not in his 70s, he's just on the cusp. And he's like, you know, he's totally awake. He knows what's going on. But he said something interesting that I hear every once in a while. And I'm not sure what my exact opinion on this is. But he goes, you know, why do we need to be in space? Why do we need to travel in space? Now, mind you, this guy's an engineer. So he's not some, you know, person who's terrified of technology or anything. He's lived the world. He's lived a good life. And so, you know, you kind of do go, he goes, because he goes, look, we, had, we need to fix planet Earth first. And he's not talking about necessarily an environmental issue, although I'm sure you would have, wouldn't have any problem with that. But he's probably more talking about the political nature and well-being and just learning how to behave, you know. I mean, it is amazing to think that uh, an AOC could go into space. You know, it seems almost mutually exclusive that if we could find a way to travel deep into space we wouldn't have educated morons you know you can always have people that are uh, ignorant to something right but you know career liars and it just gets it gets really old really fast and to think that we would actually penetrate space and meet another alien and someone like AOC gets to talk to some other race I mean it's just terrifying to think that they might just come and wipe out our entire planet so one question one sort of rhetorical question is eh, are we ever going to get like brilliant people on average and then explore space or are we going to always have morons who believe in complete fiction as science and we're still going to go into space is Greta going to be allowed to talk to someone in space someone out there in the universe on our behalf I mean could you imagine isn't that just utterly terrifying one of the things that keeps coming up in my head and I don't know if there's a whole show to this but we'll just bounce around certain space topics because it's it's something that fascinates me the whole issue of the space station SpaceX uh, SpaceX's new starship someone just reported in the comments today that NASA has moved its 2024 moon return to 2028 alright let's just keep moving it until we actually get there right let's actually develop real technology to really get there this time 
But the thing that keeps getting me is the space platforms. A platform is the technology you would use to get to a particular destination or accomplish a particular task. Putting a rover on any foreign body in space requires platform A. The platform that will take a man to a foreign body in space, allow them to exit, habitate, experiment, then get back in this vehicle and return back to Earth safely, that's platform B. And if you if you think about all the space hoaxes without thinking about the platform paradigm, you're going to miss some glaring evidence that this stuff is all a hoax. Case in point. As I always tell you folks, if you're going to put a rover on Mars, you would most definitely put it on the moon first. You would, as a practical test of the technology. They don't do it because to put a rover on the moon, especially like the the last two species we put up there in the last 20 years, they have the capability of driving to the landing zones the landing spots of the Apollo, you know, lunar landers. Got to put up my hair. NASA's only submitted proof that the lunar landers are there immediately failed the scale test. They showed us these photographs of the lunar modules landing gear, right, the four feet on the moon. And when someone asked, okay, what's, what's the scale of this photograph? They said one pixel equals so many feet. So you look at this picture and they're like, oh, so the lunar lander just became four times as big as it was in the history books because the four little dots are too far away from each other by a factor of four, roughly. All right. That's a little mistake that all of your people who think that we went to the moon who are all butthurt in the comments or some old relative of yours who tries to make you feel bad because you're awake and they're asleep. Just show them that one. They look, Grandpa, this is this is proof we didn't go to the moon. And don't start making up a bunch of goddamn excuses why this is suddenly legit. Just because you can't deal with it. It's funny because on the on the um on the fence of conspiracies we have a couple things going on here. We have someone that might be able to prove to us that a conspiracy took place by showing us, you know, the overwhelming majority of the factual evidence, which proves some aspect of what you just saw was definitely fake. There was definitely a conspiracy to create something and make it look like something else. All right. Then you have the conspiracy person who has seen so many of these things and is so awake with legitimate conspiracies that they can now get creative in their mind always making everything a conspiracy. Now, that that actually does have value, right? But then you have the opposite side of the game, which is someone that can always dig out a conspiracy back into the official story. Now, I've got friends of mine who are geniuses at this. I mean, it's unbelievable how much proof you could show these individuals. And they will just go into this cognitive dissidence mode where, 
well, well, I can't imagine this, and this is probably this, and this and that, and I'm, I'm sitting there going, hey, a 110-story building fell in six and a half seconds. Well, maybe God in the temporal fabric of space and time, it, you know, gravity didn't work. Maybe there was a gravity wave, and, all right? At one point, it gets mind-blowing, you know? So NASA's sending all these probes to Mars in 93, 98, 2001 to 2003, uh, and just recently. Well, where's the probe to the moon? You know, so let's just say someone on that side of the fence goes, oh, I'm going to give you a big excuse why that doesn't happen. They don't have enough money to do both, and so they just do the one. And, of course, they're going to go for the more exotic one, which is impossibly far out to get to but now we're supposed to be going back to the moon 2024 now supposedly postponed to 2028 alright so you need to research a lot about the moon and given that we know they didn't go and even if they did go the information that they got from the moon was infinitesimal compared to what they need now to build what they're claiming to build, which is moon bases. We're not going to leave anymore. We're staying. It's going to be space 1999, like the show on TV. You're going to test platforms on the closest body in space. You are. If they have enough money to pay SpaceX to do anything, they've got plenty of money to send something to the moon. Since it, they have lied so much about how easy it is to get something onto Mars. I mean, do you realize we don't have any failed missions to Mars? Last failed thing we had to Mars was um, that little probe that the dude in England worked 40 years of his life to build. I think we were headed to Saturn, and we threw this thing out on his behalf and then what happens it crashes into the surface of mars and they essentially say that that guy was so incompetent in his rocket design or his spaceship design that it didn't work truth of the matter is his shit probably never left earth and they had to destroy it because they can't get to mars so they just time it they literally you know turn the thing on and forge where it is in space or however they're talking to this little thing if there even was any communication with it and just about the time they're supposed to drop it they do something else in our atmosphere to drop it they destroy it and then it looks like Britain can't create a probe the real reason is is that they can't get there in the first place so the, the sad thing was I read an article about that guy after it crashed and he was devastated he had worked several decades on this thing platform technologies now officially the Falcon the Falcon 9 the, was it uh, was it the Heavy Falcon or whatever it is and the um, Starship and all that all those are platforms the, the Space Shuttle was a platform Saturn V was a platform and here's the thing Let's rewind the 60s for just a second before we went to the moon. One, before we ever announced going to the moon, we had been working on rocket 
technology, you know, all throughout the 50s. I don't know if you can hear that buzzing back there. That is a wasp uh, shaving wood off of this Ani thing to take it back to his nest. It's really hilarious to watch. Actually, I take that completely back. That's a palm tree of mine hitting the power line. Gonna have to have that thing taken down. Just hope it doesn't burn to the ground. You have to call PG&E to come take it out. But we had all this rocket, rocketeering going on, you know, launch pad explosions, tons of different species of rockets, all this stuff before we went to the moon. Okay, so according to NASA, you know, let's say they did delay, it doesn't matter. We should be having tons of launches right now aimed at the moon. And, you know, it's one thing to send up a probe. It's going to drive off a ramp and start walking around the surface of the moon. I still think that's damn near insurmountable in terms of technology required. But I don't know of anything going on. They took the Project Orion project, and they're now telling you on the 2024 mission pages that that's what they're going to use to get to the moon. Apparently, this big giant Saturn V thing is no longer necessary. It's got to be a smaller rocket with supposedly, I guess, equal or more boost power. Okay. What I'm interested to see is the following. If America continues to wake up, for instance, if Trump gets a second term and he starts really doing all the stuff that the QAnon guy keeps saying, which is, you know, arresting people and da-da-da-da, we get this country cleaned up, the NASA and JPL and all these other SpaceX organizations are going to have a huge problem continuing a deception because we're not going to be in that gear anymore to be lied to through our press 24-7. So, either they're going to cancel that whole thing. Eh, I mean, they could they could come up with a thousand excuses, uh, budgetary issues, whatever. Deprioritize it. But if it were to fall back into the hands of the deep state... They were going to go into, like, double-down crazy. AOCs will be normal. Idiocracy, the movie, will become real. And as much as Mike Judge wants to take a piss on Trump and say, Oh, Trump is idiocracy. Give me a motherfucking break. Okay. The Green New Deal isn't straight-up idiocracy. Having senators that marry their brothers to smuggle them in through false immigration and they're still able to be... You know, Congresswoman, are you kidding me? That's not it? Fake global warming things that are taxing the public and all this, you think that's not crazy? Come on. Draining the swamp is the antithesis of idiocracy. And it's really funny too, just to digress for one second. When I was a kid, it was all about business people becoming politicians. You almost always had to have some sort of success in your personal life in order to become a senator, a congressman, anybody on the Hill, president. And then, of course, we have the movie star thing that starts happening with Reagan. Eh, Jimmy Carter, eh, he was a peanut farmer. Uh, he's uh, supposedly a physicist. So you can see how that guy could 
get his way in there. Just don't pay attention to his brother. But today it's a joke. If you think about the space programs, they're going to be catalyzed in their fakeness based on who's running the show. Now again, you might have some old school folks that believe in sort of, again, the it's better that we lie to make our country look better than it is to just tell the truth. You might have some of that. Trump might be one of those people. What I'm hoping about Trump is that he's not a guy that surrenders his common sense for someone who has a big title, meaning he's in the Oval Office in the first year, and at some point he goes, did we really go to the moon? He asked some real senior Q clearance person, yes, Mr. President, we totally did go to the moon. What 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 happened was is that we faked the first mission, and so we got it right with all the rest. But we really did go on the first mission. We just didn't have live footage, and the call with Nixon was faked, and on and on and on. And then he, wanting to believe that, goes, okay. And then he starts, you know, supporting and greenlighting and starting to talk about the moon missions during his political stomps. Thus forging in history lies and his gullibility or his patriotism is more important than truth. And I would say if you stood before God, you're never going to come up with anything where you go, okay, God, well, there's truth over here. And then there's this thing I did. You know, the other interesting thing is that We're in the age of the open source movement, right? It's been going on for 30 years, at least, in a very formal manner. For those of you not familiar with that, what that means is you write some code, you develop some technology, and it is put into the open source movement where everyone else can see your code And the cool thing is, is they can use your code. You might think, geez, I've just sold my patent or given it away in the public domain. The benefit is, is that the world tunes your code, making it much better. And you get a copy of that for free. So you get a bunch of R&D for free. And in the end, the community made the best product. So we're supposed to be going to the moon. All right. Well, according to the fake world of idiocracy China has put two rovers on the moon, one on the light side, one on the dark side. Their photographs that came back were the laughing stock of the scientific community absolutely categorically fake, just like their space station with all the water bubbles that seem to fly up the, uh, the mask of their astronauts Israel attempted failed, then we waited a week or so Then all of a sudden they said they had photographs. It's an image thing. India is doing its rover to the moon. So apparently it's super duper easy to get to the moon. Just buy the little uh, Heath kit online and make sure you got a flathead screwdriver and a Phillips head and maybe some vice grips and man, when do you want to go? What I find interesting is you've got people like Richard Branson 
trying to start that new airline, and there's a few companies doing this, where they want to put you in low orbit, supersonic aircraft to get you from, say, uh, from Los Angeles to Paris in two and a half hours, one hour, whatever the timetable is, because you're going to be going so quickly. I think it, it's true that the first two or three pilots that worked for Branson died just trying to fly high in a vehicle. What I find fascinating about that is, okay, so it seems to be no problem to find rocket engineers to get probes to the moon. I mean, first time for a lot of folks, right? China is still China has basically adopted the same playbook as America in the 60s, which is we're going to try and we're always going to make it because it's all being done in a Hollywood studio or out back in our dirt-covered hills, which we're just going to photograph in the color of dirt and then pass it around. I mean, wow. The balls on these guys are the, the absolute naivete of whoever's running that program. You know, and NASA, you know, seems to have gotten a hold of their photographs and washed them all out to gray. So you have gray versions and you'll have brown versions. So how is it that Branson can't get a vehicle to fly safely to just go from Los Angeles to Paris, but you can get to the moon and drop a rover off and take photographs and have that those beamed back home? No problem at all. No problem at all. I think if we want to really start turning in the screws on NASA during this commitment to go back to the moon, we have to just consistently say, what's your platform? What's your platform? What's your platform? And I think this time around, we're going to use their answer to prove that they didn't go in the 60s, which is the following. Ask them how they're leaving Earth's orbit. <clears throat> Ask them how they're steering to these far-off objects. Now, again, the moon is obviously in our sights constantly. But they're going to need to do the elliptical rubber band slingshot orbit. And again, just go back to all my old episodes. You're going to need to get into Earth orbit with so much power that either you're automatically increasing your orbital journey, which again, the slingshot theory in its opposite escape velocity is where their engines break down, their fuel systems break down. You're in low Earth orbit, which means if you just stay there with no push, your orbit will eventually deteriorate and you will hit the Earth, just like the the space station, was it the Mir space station from the Russians? They crashed in the late 90s. It crashed because they couldn't push it back out. All right, so now you're in low Earth orbit. Now, while in Earth orbit, you are this, again, teeny tiny thing. The Earth is several orders of billions of times bigger than you. And you're going to have to turn on a new motor and start to create this ever increasing, which means your motor is going to have to continue firing as you're going around the earth to create this really close orbit on the bottom side and this increasing elliptical orbit around the back side of whatever direction you want to go, right? So when you pull a rubber band to shoot it, 
you're pulling it away from your target, right? So you want to hit that beam over there, you pull it this way. You want to hit the beam over there, you pull it that way. Same thing with the elliptical slingshot theory. That slingshot has got to be pointed directly at the direction you're going to need to slingshot to. And what's fascinating is the absolute astronomical difficulty in pointing the slingshot at the right direction should just cancel it out in your head. Again, the Earth, as far as NASA says, is 24,000 miles around. But when you're in 200 miles up, it gets a lot bigger than that. And as you continually increase this elliptical orbit, you're talking about, I don't know, I don't know how far away from Earth you'd have to be, probably two Earths away, and your final breakaway orbit. But in order to break away from the Earth's gravitation in your last gigantic elliptical orbit to do the slingshot thing, you're going to have to introduce more power. And then you're going to have to fly away from the Earth while you're being sucked towards the Earth so that when you hit that last moment where it's supposedly going to slingshot, slingshot you, it's a fun word to say, that it's going to perfectly slingshot you at the target in space. Now for the moon, it's 236,000 miles away on average. It's a little bit bigger, but still, this is an impossible thing to do, you know what I mean? It's kind of like shooting a rubber band at a bunch of bottles that are 30 feet away and you're going to put that rubber band directly on the bottle that you, on the top of the bottle, the one that you, you want. It's ridiculous. When it comes to Mars, you've got a planet that's out there hauling ass around the sun. We're hauling ass around the sun. Of course, we're going to go when it's closer to us on the orbital window opportunity. And now, if you're off any level of degree, and I mean, it must be 10 places to the right of the decimal, you are not hitting Mars, right? You have blown it because millions and millions and millions of miles away, you are going to not hit your target. But at the same time, we know how fast we can get things to move in space. I think it was, I saw a video the other day, it said the fastest object that we've ever personally been responsible for was an object that went, I think, 175,000 miles an hour. That's fast. But I, you know, Mars is traveling faster around the sun. So how do you catch up with that? Most of you know that if a Bugatti was going by your, right by you on a highway at 200 miles an hour, and they get the window rolled down, somehow that's gonna work. And you got a can of soda or a water bottle, and you're like, hey, I'm just gonna throw this in the window and you catch it so that you can have water in your car. You know, the relative impact is gonna be 200 miles an hour hitting that bottle. If you throw it in someone's face, you're gonna absolutely uh, crush their face completely. Doesn't work. So you're going to have to hurl this bottle with your hand 200 miles an hour to just make up the relative speed so that when it goes in the window, the person just grabs it and it's going exactly the same speed they are. But I think you know that it's probably impossible for the human body to throw something 200 miles an hour. So you got a problem. 
How are these probes just perfectly landing on Mars? How are they perfectly getting in orbit around an object that's moving quicker through space than we can push any object off the surface of Earth? But you might say, oh, well, that's where the slingshot theory really works. Really. You have to not only match the speed of the foreign object, but you have to exceed the speed of the foreign object, and you have to be so utterly perfect in your marriage of the orbital grab of Mars that you're going to have to hurl the object just a little bit faster than Mars is traveling through space, which is technically impossible. It is. Because you're going to have to overshoot Mars to create this descending orbit which has been animated for the probe that was the uh, sent around Jupiter. They just know that, that no one thinks about this stuff. No one understands the basics. So where it is out of sight and out of mind, they tell lies and they steal billions of dollars. Now with the moon, this should become measurably easier. But you're going to have to do it. And I think that SpaceX is talking about doing this with their Starship program. You build a space station in space, and, and I mean a real space station. Sort of like the stuff you've seen in 2001 A Space Odyssey, like the stuff you see in Star Trek. It has living quarters. It is a real place. It has a dock in space. Just like the docks you see where the, um, the Enterprise... You know, has been maintenance several times in different movies. So the opening scene of Star Trek The Motion Picture, it's amazing when you see this, the Enterprise for the first time since 1969, 10 years later. Because once we have a ship in space traveling in a secure orbit around Earth that supposedly, okay, it's going to need to be able to go through the Van Allen belts with no repercussions. That means the whole of the ship is going to have to be some sort of Faraday fabric. It just is. It's going to have to rely on the fact that it can divert a solid frequency of electricity, right? Faraday only works if you have a solid slash stable frequency of electricity. If the, if the frequency of electricity goes up and down and up and down in, in any violent way, it will penetrate the Faraday fabric and start to dismantle or go inside the vehicle. Now, to give you some perspective, it's pretty solid. A lightning bolt that strikes your car, uh, as far as I've ever heard this example, it does not travel inside the car. Now, I also heard something that was funny when I was a kid. They said that people used to think that if you wore rubber shoes, and you were standing on a conductive material and that material gets struck by lightning that you would be secure because you're wearing rubber shoes. And I believe it was my teacher at the time that said those shoes would have to be seven miles thick to ward off the amount of electricity that's going to be screaming towards your body through those shoes. So there is some folklore around methodologies to protect the occupants inside. We saw the new spacesuits because there were two females that did a uh, spacewalk, a 
Apparently, it's the first time that two females have claimed to do such a thing. I wasn't aware of that. I mean, we've had multiple females on the space station for at least a decade, and you would think that both of them would go, hey, let's, you want to go outside at the same time? Yeah, sure, let's do it. Hey, we're going to make a world's record happen, too. Yeah, great. But this new spacesuit was hilarious looking, and quite frankly, it might be hilarious looking because it actually works. I don't know. You still see the rubber fingertips, and again, when it's really, really cold outside, which space is, it's going to freeze your fingers in a split second, right? What they're telling you is that you could reach into some, you know, with those gloves on, you could reach into 280-degree boiling water. I don't know, that's, that's not quite boiling, I don't think, but 280-degree water, and you're not going to feel anything. I mean, you can sit in it all day long, hours and hours and hours and hours, no problem. And then you could put your hands in 200 negative, 200 negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit, and you're not going to feel cold at all. Hmm, yeah, it seems like it's going to make sense, right? Now, one of the listeners, I'm going to digress and talk about space for one second, made a great comment. And it's actually addressed in my very first episode in 2015, which is, uh, I, be- I believe this person's a flat earther, and they were saying that um, you can't have pressure in any sense of its definition without a container. And that's where I get into the, the three models of the universe that could possibly exist, which is you have a finite container for the universe with a finite amount of matter in it. You could have an infinite container with a finite matter, amount of matter in it. You could probably have infinite container with infinite amount of material in it. Now, again, we don't think of things like that at all, do we? It's really tough for us to think about infinity, inf- infinite mass in the universe. So how would you get pressure? How would you get ethereal winds to have any pressure model at all without a container? Well, maybe there is a container. We don't know. Maybe that is the absolute de facto proof there's a container. There is the string theory, which I think in its pure definition is probably incorrect, but I think the guy might be onto something, which is that somehow the ethereal matter is truly connected to either itself or some other medium provides its train tracks, and the train tracks are finite, therefore you get a finite traveling medium of which ether could travel on, and then you start getting a pressure model again. But it's definitely a great question. And for some reason, my episode, I think, on this space XYZ PDQ, it got a lot of folks to, who I don't know if they know each other or whatever, but two or three folks said in the comments, it sounds like you're a flat earther, but you're scared of being called a name, so you're not willing to admit you're a flat earther. You know, the truth is I'm expanding earth person pretty much 100%. So again, I'm... I'm an open-minded dude. I want to see the Flat Earth community either succeed or not necessarily fail, but learn a whole lot more about the universe by addressing the idea that we are in a round ball, just like bubbles in water. Now, I wanted to throw you another model 
of scientific discovery. Because when I think about the 20th century that I was born in and, and spent a tremendous amount of my life in, you think about 1900 and where we were in 1900. And if you were to go back to 1900 and talk to folks, they're right on the precipice of a lot of amazing things. Film has started, right? It's still silent movies, but we got moving pictures now. That's a pretty huge increase in technology. Henry Ford very quickly created the Model T. So we have now cars. Trains had been around for um, quite a few years before that. I mean, almost 75 years before that in any functional methodology. And so trains with the refinement of oil and obviously using coal were able to combine to make this steam engine technology so you could get anywhere you needed to be in the United States of America as the two railroads connected from east to west. What else did we have? We had the invention of the telephone based on the primal technology of the telegram. And the, the telegram was huge because the telegraph technology was all based on the wire that transmitted that information from one station to another. If you haven't researched it, it's utterly fascinating that they found that there was a lot of anomalies in moving electricity down a wire because of its lack of conductivity. They had to do a bunch of tricks to get it to transmit over long distances. So once that was figured out, the telephone merely transmitted more complex data over the same lines. Electricity. Tesla brought us the AC system, alternating current. So there was a tremendous amount of technology that blew up out of the first two decades of, in fact, even the first decade of the 20th century. We're about to conclude the second decade of the 21st century. And I would say that we are way behind the curve of new technology that is really making things better because the internet, internet existed as it exists now from the HTTP protocol in the 90s. Yes, we're building much more elaborate technology on top of that technology. That's good. Electric cars, well, Tesla was able to use you know lithium batteries to take it to the next level. I just read an article today that a guy burned up in his car, his Model S, after crashing it because he couldn't get the damn doors open. And, of course, the batteries are burning at a just a terrifying rate. In terms of rocketeering, well, if you really studied the rocket platforms that put things into orbit for communication satellites, military satellites, all that kind of stuff, all the spy stuff up there, you know, the Falcon, the Falcon 9, the Heavy Falcon, all that stuff. It is really off-the-shelf technology built at the best level of accuracy that it's ever been built. But there's French rockets that look exactly like all of the rockets that SpaceX puts together. I mean, they're almost physically ident identical. What SpaceX big claim? Well, they can land those boosters back on the ground and reuse them. Again, I'm not sure how much money they're actually saving when doing that. Project Orion attempted to solve the problem of the Van Allen belts, flew once without man in the capsule, then they canceled the project, and then supposedly now it's resurrected. 
and it is going to be the platform, part of the platform, to get to the moon again. Again, I haven't seen any pedestrian film the SpaceX um, boosters landing that I trust. We're not invited. When I talked about the SpaceX meeting at the warehouse in the desert on this really windy night, and Elon Musk is out there theorizing about what's possible, and all the fanboys are there writing everything down for their blog or their whatever newspaper. What becomes apparent is that no one in the audience is asking any real questions about the technology. There's not a single person in the audience that is willing to talk on the mic at least to say, really, is this really possible? You know, it looks like, you know, this is fake. But how was that whole thing orchestrated? It was orchestrated like a Hollywood set. Big silver starship thing. It's like a big movie prop for some 1930s Buck Rogers, as I said before. It's lit beautifully. So he's standing next to an object that is essentially a psychological presence attack for any of the fanboys. And so, you know, probably even you and I both would be standing there looking at this thing going, wow, that's a beautiful thing, even though it's got rivets on it. Again, just like... <laughs> Hollywood props in the 30s. It is my suspicion that the folks that go along with these these fake assertions that we're going to be doing all this amazing stuff in space, it's they understand the presence attack. They understand the fact that folks want to believe. And if you break down any one of the fanboys, think about the average alkylate that a kid gets by going to one of these press conferences and learning firsthand what the story is going to be. One, we know that space, aerospace in general, is a black box for 99.9% .9 of the world, meaning nobody knows any of the technology, any of the mathematics. And so they try to enter that realm to have a conversation on a discerning level and they immediately have to give up because they simply don't have the brain power to have the conversation. In a way, that's protection. How about all the times you've heard that settlers from Europe got to the Americas and the Native Americans saw them and thought they were gods? They rode on horses, which they'd never seen. They had these weapons that could shoot you from a long ways away. Even if they had a sword, it was just a, a beautiful, amazing piece of technology. So until, you, until the Native Americans understood that the arrow is still very, very formidable for any one of these quote-unquote gods, they surrendered until they figured it out. And I think it's interesting that the history books are pretty unanimous about the fact that the Native Americans became absolute crack shots with rifles and all the technology was being brought over to to hurt them and essentially genocide them down to a tiny reservoir of of folks, right? It's my belief that we're not asking the right questions, that we're not invited to those press conferences. What would happen if you were to walk into a crowd of people that are wanting to believe all of this stuff and you get to that mic and you pin Elon Musk down on some forgery? What if you walked up and said, look, I am from Conspiracy, Red Pill, website, blog, and I don't think that your boosters are really landing back down on the ground in Florida. 
I want you to pay for a ticket to fly me to the next landing of those boosters and I want to be able to live stream the landing. I don't need to be right next to it, but I want to be close. Close enough that when I film it, there's no question that this is real. Well, you'd probably have a bunch of boos in the audience, right? Because what you're doing is, if you're right about your skepticism, then you're stealing the accolades from every single person that wants to believe. Every person that goes home to their wife or their parents or their husband or whatever, and they're saying, you know, I learned this, I learned that. You know what Elon Musk said? You know, I learned all about their mission details, and I can recite it to you. Well, I guess you're a genius then. I think we also have to do a little bit of math and realize that there's a lot more of them than of us. And you know how mob rules works. If everybody else wants to believe the emperor has clothes on, you know, is it worth it even mentioning that he doesn't have clothes on? Will you get lynched? Because you're, again, robbing everyone of their fantasy? If we were about to land on the moon and start space stations and all this other kind of stuff, especially in four years, even if it's been delayed another four, for me, I'm, I'm okay if they tell the truth and they simply go, well, we thought we could do, do it in 24, we ran into this hurdle, so we're moving it four years ahead because we really want to get there. I support that a thousand percent. But we should be looking at today, already, their plans for their schematics of what are you building these buildings out of? How are you keeping them airtight? What sort of environmental systems are you bringing to the moon? Is it going to be some fusion reactor that can create oxygen molecules out of something else? Can you take the dust from the moon and refine it? You know, Because when they lied about going to the moon, they lied about what the moon is made out of. And I remember, again, like in the 80s, in Omni magazine, the Japanese had thought up a really cool hexagonal structure that you could create where you could stack them up, put them side by side, and you could create essentially a space station out of hexagonal boxes. And where you want a door to go between two hexagons, you just either don't create it or you cut it out. And now you can walk through this beautiful, super resilient structure. And again, they keep telling us that all those bumps on the moon are craters when they're really volcanic eruptions. So if you really want to be there, what you have to do before you can pick a site for a space station is figure out where the volcanic eruptions are still alive so you don't build on top of it. And maybe that's in the sea of tranquility. Who knows? But we see these craters, these volcanic craters erupt all the time. Like I keep saying on the show, I show you the photograph every single time of the plasma, the white glowing plasma energy coming out of the center of the moon, spilling out into a crater. It's because it's a volcano, folks. I've seen a couple of YouTube videos in the last uh, month about something called Crater Lake. I forgot exactly where it is, but it's, I believe it's in the United States. I believe it's in Oregon or something up in that area. But it's called Crater Lake. Why? Not because it's a crater from a meteorite from outer space. It's because it's a volcanic crater that filled up with water. And now it is dead as far as I understand. 
my concern is that even, I mean, I wasn't completely, you know, sentient. I was born the year that they went to the moon a few months later. A month later, I guess. So I don't know if what I'm about to say is true for NASA, but it's definitely true for SpaceX, and it's sort of... It's, it can be construed as a little scary. Not terribly scary, but... It's a force against truth if these agencies turn into cults. A cult would be an organization that amasses followers that will believe anything the cult tells them. Because a cult will get violent eventually if they are forced to give up their cult beliefs. What do you think all the religious wars of the world have been about? My God against your God. You can see it in the Flat Earth versus Round Earth movement. I am shocked that Expanding Earth, which is my belief system, is still pretty much unknown. I mean, there's folks that know it, but there's no movement around it. It will tell you more about how the Earth was formed and how cosmic objects form than any other theory that's out there for my money. So I want to put this episode out there to kind of get at the nitty-gritty of what we should be paying attention to in the very near future, which is platform technology. Not only the platform to get to the moon, but the platform to survive on the moon. They don't have to tell us exactly how everything works, but they should definitely start revealing their plans before we're going to sit there and swallow it all, right? So I think that's about all I've got for that. Anyway, take care of yourself and someone else, and I'll see you in the next Deep Thoughts. Over now.